Welcome to episode 15 of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs, where we get real about all things that go on below the belts. I'm your host, Jocelyn Conley, founder of the Vagina Doc, and today I'm speaking with Lindsay Durand, student physical therapist about sex, sports, and the pelvic floor. Lindsay is a second-year doctor physical therapy student interested in specializing in pelvic health. She's involved in spreading the word about pertinent women's health issues by leading the social media effort for Global Women's Health Initiative in addition to spreading the word on other important causes in healthcare. You can follow her on at Lindsay Duran Fitness on Instagram. So benefits to listening to today's episode, you know, it's more of a casual conversation where Lindsay and I are talking about things as girls, as women versus healthcare professionals. And you get a different perspective, at least how we see things in this conversation versus us trying to teach something. Plus, you hear about pelvic floor issues that we both experienced as teenagers and how a lot of these pelvic floor issues manifest early on instead of just after having children. And then last thing, you know, you hear us talking about our take on things but that by and large society view is or thinks is taboo. But before we head into today's episode, please remember our disclaimer. The information used on this podcast is for inf- entertainment and informational purposes only and should not be used in lieu of medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Now, let's dive into today's episode. back to Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. I have Lindsay Duran with me today. Lindsay is a second year PT student at Washington University in St. Louis and she is on her on her very exciting journey of specializing in pelvic health. Lindsay, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, to get started, yeah, thank you for you, having why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose WashU and why you got into women's health. Ooh, okay. Um, So I guess my story kind of starts back when um, I was in middle school. I was a gymnast growing up and um, just through competitive gymnastics, had a couple injuries, ended up in physical therapy. Um, And that's kind of where I discovered physical therapy and what it was. And it really intrigued me. And I was, I don't know, 13 at the time and made this decision that I was gonna be a physical therapist. And, you know, never changed my mind after that. So I just kind of went forward um, through high school. I loved being active. I loved being an athlete. I did softball, track, and cheer. Um, And I just absolutely loved the idea of pursuing physical therapy. And so I got into undergrad. I went to Creighton University and um, ended up in the honors program there where part of the requirements to graduate is to conduct research and present that research at honors day. So I was in the exercise science department and I was looking for research to conduct. And I reached out to a professor who um, asked if I would like to do a study with him on high heel shoes. And I was like, sure, that sounds really interesting. He was like, I don't know if you wear high heels, but my wife wears them all the time. And I'm like really interested to see like how that changes the mechanics at the ankle and the knee and the hip. And so we started working on that project with a professor in the physical therapy program at Creighton, um, who was also doing pregnancy studies. So she was looking at postural control in pregnant women. And that's kind of where I first started hearing about women's health um, in PT. I was like, this is really cool, like research on pregnant women. And for as long as I could remember, I've always kind of had this fascination with like pregnancy and women and female development, like starting all the way back in elementary school when we started learning about like growth and development and stuff I was like this is super cool and I remember specifically like getting in trouble for telling people on the bus about like female development and like how the body develops and the professors or not the professors the teachers at the time just like literally shaming me for talking about it and they're like this is not appropriate for you to be talking about and I was like you know nine or ten at the time and I was just like so interested um where so, did you grow up, Lindsay? Were you, did you grow up in St. Louis? I did. I grew up in St. Louis. Where, where, here's the famous question. Where did you go to high school? 
right? Um, so I went to public school up until high school. And then for high school, I went to uh, Visitation Academy. So this was in public school when I, uh, okay, you were, like shaming me for, <laughs> which is interesting. So it was public school. Yeah. Where is this public school? I haven't heard of that one. Um, well, the public school I went to was I Hazelwood. Mean, the private school. Private school, yeah. Visitation Academy. It's at like 270 and 64, right next to um, Flu. that hospital. No, what is that hospital? Methodist? Oh, okay. So it's like further west, towards West County. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, when you were injured in high school, what kind of injuries did you have? Um, and younger, when you were 13. So I guess 13 isn't quite high school. Is it? Right. Uh, I was still in middle school then, um, but it was all ankle injuries. So that's kind of like what ended me up in physical therapy, like a lot of ankle sprains. I ended up getting surgery on it. Um, and it was kind of just never the same. Interesting. But um, kind of like around the same time. Yeah, like around the same time as like all those ankle things were happening. Obviously, I was like going through puberty too. So I don't know if that was contributing to it. But I also started having, like, a lot of stress incontinence. And so... And you were how old at this age? Like, 12, 13 years old. So... What did you think about it? Were you like, is this discharge? Is this... What am I... What's happening? I thought I was just tumbling on a full bladder. Or, like, wasn't going to the bathroom before I was tumbling. Because, obviously, tumbling involves, like, a lot of... Like, a lot of power. And it was really only happening, like, on the floor for like very specific passes. So there were some things I could do like no problems, but tumbling was like a big one. Anytime I was trying to do like layouts or like standing tucks, folds, I was like having leakage and I thought I was just like tumbling on a full bladder. So what did you do? Did you tell your coach? No, literally I was just like, well, I'll just go to the bathroom. And I like never said anything. I thought that was just like, like it was a me thing. And I didn't know that, that like wasn't okay. I didn't know you should talk to anyone about that. But obviously like because I didn't address it, stuck with me all the way through cheer and track as well. So like between jumping and cheer and all the tumbling I was doing in cheer and then like sprinting and track and I was a high jumper in track too. So it's like all the activities that encourage, maybe not encourage, but make stress incontinence potentially worse if you're not, you don't have the right control. When you were in college, did you take any courses that talked about specific women's physiology? Or was it just physiology? Yeah, not really specific to women. Not that I can think of. Um, My only experience in undergrad with like women's health was working in research and seeing the fact that there was research being done on pregnant women. I was like, this is cool. And then I had kind of heard about the fact that there was a whole specialty of physical therapy surrounding women's health. Um, And I was also introduced to that when my sister was pregnant with her first baby. And she had a lot of like pelvic, pelvic laxity. And so her pelvis was like way out of alignment when she was pregnant. And so she went to a physical therapist. She was like, I went to all these doctors. No one could figure out what was wrong with me. They couldn't give me any medication. Finally, someone referred her to a physical therapist. She was in the waiting room and they they said her name, you know, and she stood up and the PT was like, oh, your pelvis is like way out of alignment. And it was a women's health PT. And so that's like who she got recommended to. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like a PT that specifically works with pregnant women. Was she freaked out whenever, when the PT said that? She, well, yes and no. She was like, well, I'm glad she figured that out. But she said it was like, she knew immediately, immediately what was wrong. She was like, it was so relieving to have you know, someone finally like and all it took was like her to stand up and they were able to automatically spot like what the problem was and, and offer corrections. When I was in college, I took a women's physiology course. It was a specific 400 level elective in uh, the kines major. And it was so freaking amazing. The professor of the course does a lot of research on the female athlete triad or REDS, Relative Energy Deficiency Syndrome. And so I remember sitting in class and I had been exposed to pelvic health physical therapy at that time. And I'm like, huh, I could do this. I think this is something I'm interested in, but didn't, didn't know that it involved an internal exam. 
And I wasn't like at that point where I'm like, yeah, I'm down for that. But I remember Mary Jane and I want to bring her on this podcast. Mary Jane, sassy Mary Jane um, would say, you know, you go to your gynecologist and they just make this worse by prescribing birth control. So she dedicates her life to this research. And it was so amazing for, to just be in a course, a, a college course where basically it taught us all, taught us all about what we should have been told growing up. Like, Hey, um, if you have five periods a year, that's not normal. And if you have five periods a year and you're have, experiencing sh fatigue, uh, stress fractures, irritability, can't sleep, but you're exhausted, that's a red flag. It's not a sign of uh, you're just a bitchy teenager. It's actual something's going on in your system. So it's that point where, you know, how how the heck are we not taught this before? Right. Can you right and I you and I are lucky that we took this training, but all the women in the world. Yeah, and it's so hard to convince people to like stress incontinence or urinary incontinence or pain with sex has been those problems have been so normalized in women that it's almost hard to convince them that like they don't have to suffer. You're like, but it's been going on forever. Or it's like, that's, that's just like, it's, it happens occasionally. It's like not that big of an inconvenience, you know? And we've just like come to normalize it, that it's like now our job is to convince these women that there is help available and that it's not necessarily normal and that there's like treatment. Can you imagine how many women would be saved from back pain, neck pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, all of the above if what we do or along the lines of just women's healthcare was something that was routinely taught and implemented starting from like puberty. Right. It's a really interesting idea. And I wish I've like thought about it before. Like once I'm a, a PT, like, can I go back to, you know, like gymnastics gyms and educate the women? Like, Hey, you know, like this is something that isn't normal and you should talk to your coach and talk to your parents about it if it's happening to you or like going back to my old cheer team or going back to schools and like giving informational talks on this it's like would that even be accepted which is a whole different conversation yeah I think that the one way that we would have to approach it is is like if you told me at age 14 or 14 to 17 that leaking urine wasn't it was it wasn't normal and that you just left it at that then I wouldn't I'd be like well so what um I would have to know how it related to my performance because athletics was my main thing but even then like my dad would tell me stop jumping off the stage at in when I was in middle school or stop jumping out of trees you're gonna blow your ACL Mm -hmm. And I still did it. Mm -hmm. So kids, I mean, speaking for myself only, I'm just, I'm one of those people that just needs to be smacked in the face before I listen. Right. Now I'm a lot better, but like <laughs> my immature brain as a teenager, I don't know how receptive I would have been, but if my parents would have been, and they did the best that they can, like they were rock stars for the most part. If they would have been more open to talking about uh, periods. And my mom would say, oh, I never had cramps or I never <laughs> had issues. I'm like, screw you, mom. That isn't helpful. Uh, but if they were more involved in the conversation, I think that would be helpful, but who knows? Mm -hmm. I agree. Your family dynamics in this situation like really determine how open you are talking about these topics and it's taken a lot of like transformation on on my part like just viewing things in a different light and just getting exposure to like these topics for me to feel like comfortable talking about them and that was one thing at first when I started or when I decided I was interested in pelvic health I was like I don't know how I'm going to do this because I can't talk I literally can't talk about pooping 
that was like a big thing for me. I was like so uncomfortable sure. talking about it. Right. That was like the big thing for me. I was like, I can talk about peeing. I can talk about sex. Like that's, an, that's like, okay. Those are a little bit more like acceptable, you know, but like pooping was one thing I was like, mm, no. Um, so it ex- required so much exposure just to like change my mentality and be like, this is an okay. And like, should be talked about topic. Can you tell, can you tell me how that kind of unraveled? Like when you were, so you, we got to the point where you started hanging out in the lab and participating in the lab in college. So where did you go next? And how did you transition into, okay, I'm going to wash you and this is going to be my journey. Mm-hmm. So the research was really what took me to wash you in the end. Um, I was super into the research in undergrad. It helped me really solidify the content and just like feel like I was very involved in my learning. And so I loved the research that WashU was doing. It's a great research university. Um, I even applied for an assistantship and I got it. So they were going to pay me to do research at WashU. They still do. Anyway, um, so that's what brought me to, to WashU. And as you know, there's like some phenomenal pelvic health specialists in the area. So hearing from some of them, um, but really we had ECE1, so your early clinical experience one, and the woman I was paired with was just like, I mean, super chill, down to earth, and she was like, yeah, I've always been interested in pursuing pelvic health, but I just don't want to treat, like, she basically, she was like, I don't want to treat old women with urinary incontinence for the rest of my life, and that was her, like, perception on it, and I was like, I feel like there's more to it, And she was like, I would love to treat, you know, like athletes with urinary incontinence. And that was kind of like what sparked it. I was like, whoa, there's like more to this. And so through that and like, I followed, you know, the vagina whisperer on Instagram and just started seeing a little bit more and more of the content and like what people were doing in the field. And I was like, this is really interesting. So then I decided I was like, the next step is like get exposure and then take pelvic health one. So I talked to the vagina whisperer. I was like, I'm really interested in this, but I just don't know, like, what do I do? She was like, take pelvic health one, like, learn more about this and get a clinical in in pelvic health. And so I just started, like, listening to tons of podcasts, tons of podcasts on pelvic health and just, like, exposing myself to the topics that they were talking about and, like, what kind of things they were looking at in pelvic health, like, what that might entail and then started reading a whole bunch of books and like getting into the research. I joined the section on women's health, which is now the Academy of Pelvic Health and really just started with that exposure and then took pelvic health one. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, it's so cool. It's so empowering. And that was really what, like through that whole discovery process of like, this is my passion. I felt so empowered and so much stronger. And that was something I had always advocated for my whole life, like strong women and just like building up women and helping them feel empowered. And I was like, this is the ultimate way to empower a woman is to like teach her about her own body and give her the skills to take care of herself. I think that pelvic health physical therapists are the secret to changing the world. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that because I, I am one, but every, but when I was in your position and it's, it's, I love, love hearing your journey. And I see such a parallel between you and I, I would talk to the professors about these podcasts there and they'd look at like, look at me like I'm crazy. And I'm like, no, seriously, this is out there. And so it's great that now they are forced to get into the technology with this, this uh, shelter in place. But uh, when I was a student, every physical therapist that specialized in pelvic health had just this awesome energy and they were so evolved as humans. They were non-judgmental. They knew how to really look at someone's movement and say, no, it's this, this, this. It's not just that. I mean, and they knew how to, they were so emotionally in tune that their EQ was just unlike anyone else's. And, uh, as a pelvic health physical therapist, you literally have, we have to know everything. We have to know not only what the body's doing at rest, like from a musculoskeletal, what the muscles, nerves, connective tissues are doing. We also have to know every system, like bladder, gynecological, the urologic, 
bladders, the urologic, <laughs> the digestive, the respiratory, the yeah. skin. And we have to know what that is doing on, after an injury. We have to know what it's doing with exercise. So to, you can't be a crappy therapist and specialize in this area. You just can't. No. No, it's like you have to be a fantastic orthotherapist and then mm-hmm. you can specialize Yes, into pelvic health. And it's like you really have to have your like solid clinical reasoning and like low back, pelvis, hips, knee, ankle, all the way, you know, like literally neck to ankle. Yes, because of how the, all the nerves travel through the pelvis and then also the, the stability component. Well, okay, I'm not going to treat your plantar fasciitis if you have no proximal stability. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you're listening and you're like, what's well, proximal stability? It's your ability to properly engage your core muscles so that your arms and legs can move. Mm-hmm. So um, how can you get tell us your experience um, at pelvic floor level one going into it. Tell us what it is and tell us how scary it was. And what was the most, what was your one moment that you'll never forget? We all have them and I'll share mine. (laughs) So pelvic health one, I took it through, um, I guess the Academy of Pelvic Health, and it's a course that goes over just like the basics of the anatomy and how to do external and internal vaginal examinations for pelvic health PT. So going into it, I was actually really excited. And one of the first questions they ask you in the morning is like on a scale of zero to 10, like how excited are you to be here? And I had closed at work the night before, like at a restaurant. So we closed at 2 a.m. and I got home at 3 and I think the course started at like 7.30 in the morning, like 8 a.m. So I had like zero sleep. So everyone else is going through and they're like, I don't know, I'm kind of like a three or a four. One girl's like, I don't know, I'm a model, so I'm a two. Like <laughs> she's like not even there for the course, you know? And I was like, I'm probably like an eight just because I haven't had any coffee yet. So I was super excited, um, obviously scared for exam, like the exam part. One, because it's just, you don't know anyone either. But I also had three classmates in the in the course with me, so two females and a male, and that was in right. So that was really interesting too. Um, but I think my one like I'll never forget moment was the very first time I did any sort of like examination was with my classmate, and I like we were both like we we're set up, you know, ready to go, and I was like, this isn't weird, is it? And she was like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> Regardless, you got to okay. tell you right, right. Yes. So I think me and some some of my classmates had to say go through the same thing, mm-hmm. say the same thing out loud. This isn't weird, no. <laughs> exactly. Um, what was the take? So tell walk us through what happens and how many times it happens. Oh yeah. So I mean, you obviously have like all the didactic curriculum, like they go through the whole like bladder system and and how that works and. Um, then they just kind of go through like the musculature and like what an external exam entails. So that's going to be like all your sensation testing. Um, so it's like, they'll have pants like, on or off. Off. Uh, yeah. Pants are off at this point. So like a large majority of the weekend is spent with your pants off and it's like, everyone takes their pants off, you know? So I guess you pair up with people. So like half of the room has no pants on and is like laying on the table getting an exam and the other half is doing an exam on someone and there's someone at the front of the room leading everything and it's very normal yeah it's very <laughs> not normal. weird it's no. not weird at all it's Except very- for the fact that you don't know what the hell you're doing no it's like no. what the hell am I doing here right <laughs> right honestly it was more I came in as a model for pelvic health two, the bowel bladder course um and for pelvic health three I came in as a model and those, I think, were more awkward experiences. Absolutely. But, um, With the amount of rectal exams that happen. Yes. Right? Yeah. Right. And it's like, because they're walking you through it, it's the first time you've ever done it. It's like, it'll take 30 minutes. And especially with an internal examination, um, just to avoid like irritation and for sanitary purposes and whatnot, like you're not going in and out. So it's like, you put your finger in at one point and then you keep it in while you're like waiting for them to explain. And it's like, you're sitting there with literally 
like half doing an examination on this woman that you don't even know that you met five minutes ago um, yeah. and you're in a whole room of, of people learning public health examinations. The this amount of vaginas that you're exposed to is just, it's, it's pretty impressive. Right. And every lab, they're like, you know, see a different vulva, see someone yeah. new. So they like really encourage you to like mix it up. So I think there were, I, I don't even remember exactly, maybe like four labs total. And then you have like your checkout portion on the last day, mm -hmm. something along those lines. It's a decent amount of time that you spend with your pants off. I'll say that. Yeah. Almost like 50% 50, 50 of the class, I would say. Mm -hmm. my, my first class, um, two, two moments. Do you remember Steph? Steph, um, she graduated, you weren't even in school. Do you know Steph? She's Yes, she's yes. <laughs> Steph, was, Steph, if you're listening, I hope you're well. Um, she was in PF1. I can't, she lived in, in, maybe still lives in North Dakota, but her she's clinic. in Connecticut now. Oh, oh my gosh. Big change. I'll tell you all about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. She was, was her clinic needed that service. And I think that's why she did it. But there was a time where we, I couldn't stop laughing because we were partners. I was just so inappropriate. And I can't remember if this was PF one or, or two or three and where I could not, I had to remove myself because I just was laughing so hard. I was the patient. And I think it was one of those, <laughs> if you ever take any John- Oh my gosh, you're not, that's okay. That's better than being the examiner. Yes, yes. <laughs> If you get in, at some point you need to get into my fast release and you'll learn about unwinding. I think that was an unwinding motion or an unwinding moment because I was in such need of pelvic floor work at the time. But anyway, <laughs> second thing that happened was I discovered that my IUD was coming out. No way. It was coming out. And so uh, I was in... Washington for six months and my insurance did not have any um it didn't work outside of St. Louis so I had to wait and get it switched out once I was in St. Louis in October for PF2. Oh my gosh. Yes and so I think it was I can't remember but they put my IUD in as if my uterus was in an anaverter position but it's retroverted. Yeah. Um, big moments with PF1. Right. <laughs> You've been through two and three. Uh, so two and three, basically, when you're a patient, you can have a musculoskeletal exam externally. So through the outside, either clothed or unclothed. You can have it internally, either through the vaginal canal or the back door of the anus. And you get an, as an, ex, as a, as a, the person that's doing the exam, you get a whole different appreciation of the musculature and the function from the back and the front. So when I am seeing someone and they're open to it, if they're having really weak squeeze pressure, I wanna check the puborectalis, and the best way to do that, that's part of the pelvic floor muscles, best way to do that is through the anus. So, um, as when you're training, you have to be the model. And when you're the model and you're a student, you're basically, everyone's just, I don't want to say toy, but person to <laughs> practice on. Kind of, yeah. And, I swear, Lindsay, I had like over 10 rectal exams that, that weekend. Yeah, no, they didn't make me do anything like that. It was just one, but oh. at least, at least the one for pelvic health too. I couldn't make it for pelvic health three, the day of like rectal exams. So I had to step in for two pregnant women. And so it was like, but it was like back to back, you know? So it's, it's weird. And they're yeah. like, I feel so bad for you. I'm like, it's not, it's like, you're not it's doing much. <laughs> It's not bad. I, after, you, right. after you get used to the fact that you're not going to poop, but when the finger moves, it does feel like you're going to poop, but you're not. Going yes. To. It's all fine. And right. there was, I, I can't remember if it was two or three where rectal exam was more comfortable than the first one. 
than the vaginal approach. Ooh. But then it wasn't that way another time. So interesting. Um, it's not that bad. As no, a no. When you're in the training and you're getting like so many exams, it gets, it gets, you, you make memories. Right. Well, and it just gives like, it gives you a new appreciation too. So if you're ever a patient who is going into pelvic health, physical therapy, know that your provider has like gone through this exam like so many times. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So Lindsay, you know, one challenge we're, we're both, I'm, I'm a lot older than you, I would say, but not that, but not by, not by that much, but it seems like what feedback I get from my friends is like, they're always telling me, well, you will just put stuff on postpartum women Mm -hmm. and they want me to talk more about what happens in women that are, have never been pregnant. And so that when we're out at bars, that's not the dominating conversation. They're not asking me, well, what happens now? What happens if mm-hmm. this happens? So what are some things that you know are a problem in women that never had kids? And maybe they're your friends, maybe not. But like if someone's listening and they might be experiencing these symptoms, what are, I feel like, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I, I got it. Okay. What are some things that your ears perk up when you hear your girlfriends talking? Yeah, one thing, well, obviously, as I've explained that I went through and I've never had any babies, um, is stress incontinence. So especially with like sprinting hard, tumbling, jumping on a trampoline, those are all things where I'm like, hey, that probably shouldn't be happening. Um, like even with sneezing, coughing. So I had whooping cough in high school and that was like really exacerbated. Yeah, it's crazy. I had whooping cough and my stress incontinence was so bad. And I like strained all my obliques coughing so much. Jeez. So that's something too. If you, if you get the like coronavirus and you're coughing a lot, you might have a lot of stress incontinence. Yeah. Um, one other thing that was like really big for me that really sold me on pelvic health PT um, was the fact that we help treat painful sex. So that's something that I was kind of like, whenever I'd asked my gynecologist about it, they, even as a younger person, they just like dismissed it. And they were like, oh, you just need to make sure you're like using lots of lube. And you know, like, you're just like, what? <laughs> that was really all the advice that they had to offer. And yeah, that was like super weird to me in my like early twenties being like, okay, but is that how it's going to be like forever? You know, and so um, that was like a big thing, like painful sex. And one of the things I started realizing, especially when I started doing my own research, is that like birth control can, that's a side effect of birth control, is vaginal dryness that leads to pain with sex. And I was like, no one ever told me that either. Yeah. So that was one thing, um, like really bad period cramps or like really painful periods. That's something I'm like, hmm, you could maybe see a pelvic health PT about. Um. Do your friends or are your friends responsive to these? Sometimes. Some of them are. Like, I've had friends reach out, and, like, one has reached out about painful sex um, or, like, urge incontinence. So, like, she was like, I really feel like when I lay down, I have to go to, like, I have to pee, but I just peed before I laid down. She was like, now I'm having pain with sex, so, like, what's this about? Um, and then I'll have other friends who tell me stuff, and I'm like, hey, you know, that's not normal or... Like, you try to offer advice, and they're like, nope, I don't think that's the issue, or like, it's not a problem. So I definitely see both sides, um, and I really think it depends on what prior exposure the woman has had, and also if it's an issue to where it's, like, bothering her. I feel like there's a lot of issues as, like, providers or future providers We're like, oh, you should get that fixed, or like, oh, you should get treatment for that, and in reality, the patient doesn't want treatment for that, you know, or they, they're not interested in getting care at that point. Um, so that's another hard thing with this whole topic. So there's so many things I'm like, you can fix that. Go get help. Yeah. So what I, what I would do back in the back in my day was I would per- my ears would perk up, but I wasn't ready. So I'm just like, eh, I'll deal with it someday. Um, I it upset me like when my gynecologist said, "You just have a narrow vagina." 
I was like, hmm, that is a small answer. Mm -hmm. But I just waited an hour and a half to, for a five minute exam. I don't have any capacity to even not flip out. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, what I thought at the time, I'm like, oh, this person knows everything about this topic. But in reality, gynecologists know very little about the neuromuscular function of the pelvic floor. Mm -hmm. they, so when it comes to like vaginal dryness, from a estrogen standpoint, they can prescribe estrogen, but what I've found is a lot of them don't even talk much about hormones. It depends on who you go to. So you really have to do your research. I grew up in a small town and they did basic panels if you advocated for yourself. But like in Scottsdale, I know a lot more that are somewhat into it but not as much as I professionally or I as a female thought mm -hmm. so they it, it's no wonder why they don't talk about painful sex right right and that was like a big thing I was just so shocked I was like wait I've been taking this birth control for how many years and I've been having this as a side effect and like no one told me that that could be a contributing factor. Like, yeah. No one thought to address it. Luckily, I had like advocated and I was like, I want to try something different just because it wasn't convenient anyway. So I ended up like after a while getting an IUD and that was like the best thing ever. But that was like a lot of research on my own. Like they had mentioned it to me at one point when I had like pursued and I was like, what other birth control options do I have? But that's one thing I've realized that it's like, these people may be professionals and like gynecologists are great, but we have to find a way to figure out how to make patients advocate for themselves more. Yeah, absolutely. It, and where you are located definitely makes a difference to your access, unfortunately. But there are a lot mm -hmm. of now online resources where you go to if you can't see a provider in your area. Mm -hmm. um, you know what? Growing up, I just had so many questions, but didn't know how to ask uh, Ask was everything around orgasms. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I truly knew what an orgasm was until, um, well, I know I, ex I experienced it in college, but I didn't know what it was, you know? Right. Um, and now, if you don't know what it is, it's really hard to make it better. Mm hmm But That's so true. I know that we didn't really go into detail uh, so much from, when I say we, my friends and I, both in college and in high school, now we, we're TMI almost, like talking about all the things that we do. But uh how about you? Like, was, was that something you were educated on? No, no. And I mean, up until probably honestly, my like early twenties, I had like a misconstrued version or like view of an orgasm too. Oh, like, too. and I think that's due to like the porn industry as well. Like you think a female orgasm is like female ejaculation, which are like not the same thing. Yeah not the same thing. So again, it wasn't until like, I literally like accidentally had one that you're like, what, what was that? I don't know, but it was cool. <laughs> and you're like, then you like start to explore it a little bit more. Um, but yeah, my friends and I did not talk about it for the longest time. And I think maybe now that I'm like more into pelvic health and I'm like bringing up the conversation and they're down to talk about it, but it was like such a hush hush topic for the longest time. And maybe that was because none of us had had them. Yeah. I've recently had conversations with people and sharing about uh, just different things. And they're like, wait, I don't know if I've had one. And I'm like, that's oh, yeah. no, you will know. And you will know. It's right. just one of those things. I, I know that's a cop out answer, but it is unlike any other sensation down there. Mm -hmm. And I mean, now that I'm, I know the anatomy super well. It's, I'm kind of nerdy about it because I want mm -hmm. to learn all the different types of things that I can do. But 
I, without knowing that, um, it's really hard to talk about it when, especially like I'm type A, I want to, I'm, I always want, I don't want to make, now I'm better about it, but you don't want to sound stupid. Mm -hmm. You don't know how to ask questions. And I remember my friends from high school, they were always having orgasms. Yeah. So I'm like, well, what about me? (laughs) I'm not. So I just kept my mouth shut. Mm-hmm. which, you know, it's a shame that orgasms are such a taboo topic because they are so important for your health. Right, right. Well, and it's so interesting too. I, f- I forget like where I was reading this or like where this topic came up, but it's so interesting. Like when, when you have people define like, when is the end of sex? A lot of people will say, like male ejaculation or like male orgasm when but when does a female orgasm occur in there and like why is like why is that not the end right and (laughs) let's just talk about that for a minute how the freaking media or the the film industry not only porn but the uh movie industry has put this false expectations into our brains about female orgasm one it never happens at the same time Mm-mm. as the male partner unless the male partner or assuming it's a male partner let's assume it's a male mm-hmm. partner, um is really good at just like holding back until uh the when the female is going right um second it takes a, at least at first until you're very experienced, more experienced in having orgasms, it takes for <laughs> takes forever sometimes, especially if you're not using toys and you're going in blind. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. Movies that just let's go do a quickie, and there's right. no. It's like, oh my gosh, how? There's no way. No, no way. Vagina um, wouldn't even be hard at that point. <laughs> So let's talk now. Okay. One thing that I would, as an athlete, like I'm so tight all the, like all the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, not really. I'm pretty flexible, but when it comes to, let's just think about like games, sports games. Um, you know, when you just start to get warmed up, you're like, Oh, I'm so stiff. Mm Mm-hmm. What, let's let's translate that to sex now. Right. When I am about to have sex and like, if there's not substantial foreplay and it's just like an insertion, I'm like, oh, it's stiff. Literally, it's like, why? It's starting your run with a sprint. Yes, that's exactly. Okay, so if what I want is I want it to be like flexible, ready to go right away because that's sometimes how whoever I'm being intimate with thinks it happens. Mm-hmm. But really, it's not that way. Just like anything else, you got to warm up. Right. And that's so- why I feel like this whole aspect of like communication and understanding yourself and being able to communicate that with your partner is like a big step women still have to take. Huge. Because un- we're not going to change that like image or that view of like, this is how sex is until we start communicating with men that that's not like you said in this situation a a man in this situation but like that's not really how it is do you have any experience in either negative or positive experiences where you were communicating you attempted communication and it went really well or it didn't go well Ooh, um like yes (laughs) I will say I like have recently started seeing a guy and this is like one of the first guys that I've actually been able to be super, super open with about like all of this stuff. And that's really come with the empowerment from the education of pelvic health one and the exposure I've had and this whole passion. Um, But that whole experience with him has been fantastic because I'm able to like communicate exactly what's going on and like what's good. And it's so funny because someone even told him, (laughs) before he met me or like before he started dating me, I guess they're like, Oh, she's interested in pelvic health. Like she's going to rock your world. And it's like, I mean, it's to a, to a degree you're like, okay, if we can communicate about this, then it's like pleasurable for both people. And 
you know, it's enjoyable on both ends. Heck yeah. It's a good vetting process. Like as of recent, um, before I didn't know how, I didn't communicate well. Um, and then I went for a dry, dry spell, like just completely immerse myself into, uh, figuring my self out from a career standpoint once I graduated and then got back into dating and was just like, okay, I'm going to be completely vulnerable here and say, and just say, this is what I want. This is what I need. And the people that I've run into, well, not that I can say I'm, I'm sleeping around like with multiples, but, but you know, the times that I, I've run into and they're guy, the guys that are younger that I'm like, this is what I want. And they're like, well, don't tell me what to do. That's their kind of communication. I'm like, bye. Mm-hmm. It's quicker. We don't waste each other's times. But then there's other people and they're like, that's awesome that you are so upfront. Right. So vetting process. Right. And this guy, it's so funny. He's like, will you teach me? Like, he literally is like, teach me. And he's also interested in pelvic health too. So it's like, that helps as well. He's like, oh, I want to treat like potentially men's pelvic health. So he's like really intrigued and like wants to learn, but it's just a whole different like level of communication. Is he in, is he a physical therapist? He is a PT. That makes it easier. Like sometimes, right. I mean, like people that are not in healthcare sometimes can be freaked out. The one guy that yes, even close into healthcare is, is thought I was in that, which isn't exactly false, but <laughs> which, so, yeah, it's so true. I never like, yeah, it's hard to date someone who doesn't know what pelvic health PT is. Yeah, the key here, guys, is to learn about everything you can about the vagina and penis or whomever you, whatever you are doing when you're being intimate and communicate, mm-hmm. ask questions. Your partner is not a mind reader. And in order for you to be able to communicate, you have to know, be aware. So at some point you've got, I mean, this is it. You've got to, you've got to masturbate. Got to yes. figure out what you like. Yes. Got to. There is right. nothing wrong with that. It's just like the same thing as you learning how to squat, different ways to squat. You're not going to teach someone else if you've never done it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't know why that's the first time I said masturbate on here, but the key here is masturbation. And it's true. So then nothing. you can communicate with your significant other um, or your huge, partner. Huge with pelvic pain. Mm-hmm. Like, because depending on what issues that I've people that I've treated have had, like, let's say if it's, um, scar tissue pain after a vaginal delivery or even there's sexual trauma in the past, like those people have to know their limits and have, have to do it on their own, either on their own or with their partner right nearby watching so that they can communicate that to (laughs) otherwise you're just guarding and scared Mm -hmm. and that's like a big requires a big shift in mindset as well like I grew up in such a catholic family where I mean it was like drilled into your brain that like all masturbation was wrong all sex was wrong and that's like obviously maybe not the best way to to pursue the world but um like if you're interested in getting to know yourself like like you said there's nothing wrong with masturbation and I really see it as the only way to be able to communicate your needs to your partner if you can't do it yourself then absolutely yes can't so basically if you're listening to this what you have to do is unlearn everything that you learned growing up Mm -hmm. if you were in a really religious family yes Yes. Forget all the traditions. Forget all the shame. Yes. Every experience. If you've never had an orgasm yet, that's okay. Uh, Now's the time to explore. You know what I, my recent, recent interest is? What? 
exploring different sex toys. I never was someone. There's so many of them. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I was doing I'm when sure I was like, oh, I don't need to buy a sex toy because I didn't really need one. I'm very imaginative and I am just, I know what <laughs> I need to do, but um, now the, <laughs> it's quarantine, man. You need it. It is unbelievable. So I would really like to invest in one of those really expensive ones from um, the Womanizer. Uh huh. Because they have really good reviews. But uh, I've settled for a cheaper brand called the Satisfier Pro. Ooh. Like thirty to forty bucks. It's one of those the wind suction kind, not a vibration. Uh huh. You heard of them? No. <laughs> unbelievable it's a suction yes yes you put it over uterus and it's a suction but you have to get <sighs> you have to find the right area right but, yes okay I saw something last week two weeks ago that was basically like a stick on dildo that you put in your shower to huh. have sex with <laughs> Well, you're in the shower. I was like, that's really interesting. And then there's wow. like all these waterproof toys. I was looking this up the other day as well. I don't know how I stumbled upon it, but there's so many different like shapes and sizes and brands and like purposes. Really interesting. Yeah. But you know, um, isn't that interesting though? Like in the field that, I mean, I'm three years in now and I just started exploring with the toys. Mm -hmm. I would tell my patients about them, but I myself never really, I didn't make time. Okay. Let's talk about making time for this. Right. You have to make time with exploring your genitalia and you can't put the end goal as an orgasm. That's something else. I no, think. no. Because even if you're just dating yourself or spending time alone or with a partner, like for females, it's pleasurable regardless if you have an orgasm or not. And sometimes, it, I mean, you just cannot put that pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. That was a, a big lesson that I'm still learning and I'm impatient. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a big thing too, like just as, like figuring out how to orgasm and how to like relax your pelvic floors. I follow this account on Instagram called My Orgasmic Life. And she is, I mean, she is like so cool, super, super like alternative in, in what she posts, very uh, non-traditional, but she talks a lot about like female orgasms and like rediscovering your power, like through orgasm and just like how to orgasm and like one of her, she has this whole video, like how to fuck your vibrator. It's so, it's so interesting. But she talks about just like being more like fluid in masturbation and not like tensing up and just like laying there silent because that's like not the way to have a full body orgasm. So she like offers a lot of tips and like suggestions and things to try in terms of like masturbation. It's so cool. Another reason why you have to learn how to coordinate, relax all the things around your pelvic floor and abdominals because you can essentially, what I've learned, Lindsay, is that I was blocking my orgasms with my abdominals. Mm. Oh, big time. That's, and, I'd never thought about that. And when, now, like, there's different, like, when I can, I can change the, basically, the timing and, like, delay or speed it up if I do my, uh, lengthening breaths yeah and when so a lot of times for the listeners when we attack when we ch are assessing our patients like their pelvic floor function it's not just kegels this is why it's so complicated to do what we do because we have to assess and check if people are cheating or dominating with their obliques and different abdominal muscles and often more often than not i see that people are so if that's what's happening when you are being intimate, then you're missing out. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you tell your friends to 
Kegel or Kegel during sex or not? I haven't, no. Um, I've had some ask about like Kegel trainers or like jade eggs and stuff. And I always just kind of caution them. I'm like, mm, you, might, you might go the other way and like tense up yeah. your pelvic floor and like, because they're like, oh, it'll make your orgasms better because you'll have like stronger contractions and things like that. And I'm like, I'm just going to caution you. Yeah. I don't typically, like if they haven't had kids or they had no reason, I'm not. Mm -hmm. More than likely you're not. You just need to know how to coordinate and let go of your abdominals. Now, when the orgasm is happening, then I say explore, like see if that helps prolong or mm -hmm. and everyone different diff is going to be different so someone that has a lot of relative flexibility in their uh connective tissue to their muscles so what that means is just a picture the the person that can like put their bend their elbows hyperextend them really far back or, or really flexible then then I, they might be different than someone that is, has more of a balance. So mm -hmm. I say try, try it out, but more often than not, not telling people to get those jade eggs. Mm -mm. Yeah. That was one thing when I was down in Guatemala last year, I did a presentation on like postpartum just like postpartum care and like some basic things that could happen as like my in-service. And so a lot of the women in the center I was working with were asking me about like painful sex and things like that. And they asked me to like about kegeling during sex. And I was like, what? Like what? And they were like, I do it all the time. And I was like, huh? You know, so the, the thought is, Oh, we'll bring blood flow down in the area. Hmm. I can, I can see that. I guess it just depends. Yeah. Um, but all in all, you've got to know how to relax the muscles mm -hmm. because the the parasympathetic response you're going to get more blood flow there right contracting or if you're tightening your pelvic floor you're going to be more of in a sympathetic response mm -hmm. I could right be wrong, but right and don't isn't it like you have to orgasm is a sympathetic response yes or, or no, erection is a parasympathetic yeah and orgasm is a sympathetic so it's like you have to relax to like get hard and then that eventually turns into like an autonomic yes. reaction. Yeah. So, okay, next topic. <laughs> I love hearing non uh, non healthcare professionals talk about squirting because mm -hmm. it's just that's I try to listen because I want to speak the language of the majority of the people who are not who don't do what we do. Um, what are your thoughts? And then you I'll say squirting. That. Yes. Is that so from what I understand, there are some women that it does happen with, but it also, I understand it as like more of a pornographic depiction of, of sex. It, is, it has happened to me once. It, yeah, it or definitely twice. has happened to me, but it's like, it's not a common thing. And it's not like the, the movie, the, I'm like, it's not even movies, I'm like the X-rated movies, but. Yeah. So I would agree that the depiction on porn, on porn videos is definitely not typically what it happens. So what I hear whenever I listen to other people is like, it's not peeing, but when we're talking anatomy, at least, at least mm -hmm. look, it's hard to find, find research on this. Oh yeah. But, okay. So there's the discharge fluid and the, um, lubrication fluid that comes out of the vagina just when you're aroused but then when you orgasm it's rhythmic contractions of the clitoris muscle and then also layer one ischiocavernosis which uh, these muscles uh, stabilize the clitoris mm -hmm. and then there's the component of the bulbocavernosis as well well, just below these muscles are, uh, or just deep to these muscles are the muscles that are around the urethra. So I have treated patients that if you stretch those muscles or if you, yeah, if you stretch them, they leak. Mm. Leak, yes. 
So my thoughts are, I have two different theories. One is that it is, it is different types of fluids. Urine's in there, but it's because of the contractions of the layer one and the clitoral, clitoral muscles that are contributing to release of fluid. Hmm. But then... What's your other theory? My other theory is that's my, that's my main theory. <laughs> but like, it, I I mean, I just yeah, how it comes out of the vagina, right? That is a real thing, though. Like, I forget what the term is, but like peeing when you have sex is, or like leaking when you have sex is a is a real term. And that is it's um it's something coital, like yeah. I forget. I forget the words. They definitely, it was mentioned once in pelvic health one. Um, there was one slide on this. But so when that occurs, that's actually, that's a bladder spasm. Oh, interesting. Bladder spasms are a contraction of the, there's a detrusor bladder muscle contraction there. But I think that's separate mm. than this. Yeah. Now, when, so when it happened to me, it was also with, orgasm and it wasn't a typical pee like it was different Lindsay so it's not <laughs> I don't think it's just leaking urine but I'm really curious about it just from an, an anatomical yeah yeah I think you more research on it Tracy I think you should ask <laughs> uh, Jen ask Jen Yes, I'll send her an email tonight. Yes. (laughs) We recorded a podcast episode for everyone to listen to, and we think we wanted to ask you a question. (laughs) What is squirting? Yes. Is it pee or is it other juices? And is female ejaculation coming out of the vagina or the urethra? Yeah, that's a good point, too. Well, because there's, you have like glands that, contribute to lubrication. Yes. They're lower than the urethra. Right. I forget. Yeah. I've definitely looked this up, like squirting and like where the fluid comes from, but I don't know if there is a definitive answer. We obviously need more research. Yeah. So after our interview, I'm actually interviewing someone that is a advocate for including clitoral anatomy and neural anatomy and gynecology books. I'm sure you probably follow her. Who? Her name's, her Instagram handle is Jessica Pin or Jessa Pin. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'll have to look her up. Yeah. So I'm really interested in hearing about that, about her experience, because even in our, in our pelvic health, training, which I think we get a lot of anatomy and a lot of neuroanatomy, not a lot on the clitoris. And just because our courses are evidence-based and there's not a ton of. Mm -hmm. We're okay. When you took anatomy at WashU, who was the course master? Stacy. Okay. Stacy still is. Um, And I'm like, we had one lab last year where we like broke down and we did like genitalia and stuff. And I remember her like pointing out and she was like, and here's the clitoris. And like, literally it was so specific and so tiny. So it was like, you know, like a 90 something year old woman. Was it from the external or did she dissect the whole thing? She dissected it. What? At least like, I mean, you saw the base of it. I don't, you didn't see the, um, I'm like the Kura. Okay. But I know, but she like dissected the, at least the tip of the clitoris and the nerves. Okay. So you could see like dorsal nerve to the clitoris you saw, um, like things like that. But it was funny. We had one of our classmates pass out watching like the, (laughs) it was like, it's a pro section. Like we don't actually dissect that part, but they just like go through it, you know? And he was like, it was so funny. (laughs) I just didn't expect guys to like pass out, but they're like not expecting to see, you know, like cadavers in that position, I guess. Yeah. Well, I feel like, okay. So what? I loved our conversation because we just 
took off our white coats and our professional language and spoke like girls. It is so hard to find a balance from on like social media, especially like mm-hmm. saying what we really want versus staying professional about it. At the right. end of the day, you know, we're, we're girls and mm-hmm. we have the same types of, you know, insecurities that everyone else has. Like pooping in public is never easy, but it's no. necessary. Um, I was telling Lindsay before we started the podcast, like I don't even want to be on dating apps because I feel like <laughs> there's just this expectation of your healthcare provider be an example. Don't go on dating mm-hmm. But anyways, um, I absolutely love this conversation and I feel like there's so many more to come. Mm -hmm. I'm so excited to see your journey in the next year. I'm excited too. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how everything ends up with everything going on right now with COVID. And I mean, right now it's like, we're all taking it day by day. They're like, no news is good news on your clinical. So we'll see what happens with that. But I'm just excited to continue learning and, you know, pursuing this career and finding my spot within the pelvic health world. Well, if our listeners want want to find you, what is the best way that they can follow or reach you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram mainly at Lindsay Duran Fitness. That's kind of my main handle. That's kind of where I started. I'm also on Twitter at Durand underscore Lindsay. Um, and you can also email me at lindsayldurand at gmail.com. But Instagram is definitely the best way to get a hold of me. Is there any programs that you are currently doing or about to launch that you want to tell anyone about? Nothing yet. Um, I've been in the process of working out something with physio memes. Um, We're trying to come up with a fundraiser to find a way to give back to healthcare providers during this time. So that's kind of the next project I have in the works, hopefully launching sometime this week, but no programs yet. Hopefully one day. Well, I can't wait to see everything you do. Um, Anything that I can support you, I'm here for you. I think that's it. Thank you, Jocelyn. It's been so great to be on. This is a great conversation. I know. Until next time on Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs with Lindsay Durand. If you want to know more about Lindsay and what she offers, follow her on Instagram at Lindsay Durand Fitness. If you want to know more about the podcast, check out www.thevaginapt.com forward slash Real Talk with the Pelvic Docs. For the latest and greatest info about the podcast, including extras and previews, follow us on Instagram at Pelvic Docs Podcast and at the dot vagina doc. One more thing. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite listening platform.